0: This is lecture number 16 on Kings by Dr. Robert Benoit of Biblical Theological Seminary. Lecture number 16, the last lecture in this series. All right, we're down to capital C under Roman numeral 4, the downfall of the Northern Kingdom. And number one is Shalom and the end of the house of Jehu, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 10 to 15. In 2 Kings, chapter 15, verse 10 and following, we read the following. Shalem, son of Jabesh, conspired against Zechariah. He attacked him in front of the people, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. Zechariah, you see, we discuss back up in the Roman numeral 3, capital A to capital D, and that was the last king we looked at in the northern kingdom. He was assassinated by Shalom after a six-month reign. That really fulfilled a prophecy that had been given much earlier that Jehu's dynasty would continue for four generations. If you go back to Second Kings 10, verse 30, you read the word to Jehu, and it says, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done all to the house of Ahab that I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. What you find is that after Jehu, you had Jehoahaz, his son, followed by Joash, Jeroboam II, and Zechariah. Now the end of the dynasty of Jehu is Shalom assassinating Zechariah, who was the last of the dynasty of Jehu. Now, it's interesting from this point on, things really deteriorate in the northern kingdom. Of the remaining kings after Shalom, you have Menachem, Pekahiah, Pekah, and Hosea. All of them were assassinated with the exception of Menachem and Hosea. Hosea, however, was imprisoned by the Assyrians. Shalom, Pekahiah, and Pekah were assassinated, and Hosea was captured by the Assyrians. Not a pretty picture. So this is the beginning, you might say, of a rapid decline of the northern kingdom and an end of that dynasty. So, number two is the remaining kings of the northern kingdom, and they would be Menachem, Pekahiah, Pekah, and Hoshea. First, we'll discuss Menachem, and that's Second Kings chapter 15, verses 14 to 22. And we read, After reigning only one month, Shalom was assassinated by Menachem. Now, he was a military commander, and you read in Second Kings chapter 15, verse 13, Shalem, son of Jabesh, became king in the thirty-ninth year of Uzziah, king of Judah. He reigned in Samaria one month. Then Menachem, son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah to Samaria, attacked Shalem, son of Jabesh, in Samaria, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. Menachem then reigned ten years, and then you find in verse seventeen, He reigned in Samaria all of ten years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You read in verse 19 that he paid tribute to Pul, king of Assyria. Pul, by the way, is Tiglath-Pileser III. In the annals of Tiglath-Pileser, we're told that he marched westward in 743 BC, and he took tribute from various peoples. Peoples from Carchemish, Hamat, Tyre, Biblos, and Damascus. But he also mentions explicitly Menachem of Samaria. Tiglath-Pileser says he took tribute from Menachem of Samaria. So in 2 Kings 15, it says, Paul, king of Assyria, invaded the land, and Menachem gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support and strengthen his own hold on the kingdom. That reference, by the way, is in Pritchard's ancient Near Eastern texts relating to the Old Testament page 283, in reference to Menachem's giving tribute to Tiglath-Pileser. All right, capital B is Pekahiah, and that's Second Kings, chapter 15, verses 22-26. We read, He succeeded his father Menachem and reigned for two years. You read in verse 23, He also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 25, One of his officers, Pekah, who was to be the next king, conspired against him, and assassinated and succeeded him as king. So there is very little said about him other than he reigned for two years and was assassinated by one of his officers of the army. So, capital C, we have Pika, in that second Kings, chapter 15, verses 27 to 32. He was a military officer under Pekahiah, as we mentioned. He led a palace revolt and assassinated Pekahiah. Again, you have some speculation about what was the political motivation for the assassination. Most feel that Pekah was probably a leader of an anti-Assyrian faction. Remember, he was the one who allied with Rezin of Damascus to attack Ahaz of Judah to try to get Ahaz to oppose Assyria. So you see, he is probably head of an anti-Assyrian faction, whereas Pekahiah had given tribute to the king of Assyria. Pico probably was of a different mind as how to deal with the Assyrian threat. But in any case, he got rid of Pekahiah and then reigned himself, and you notice in verse 17 that he reigned for 20 years, so he had a rather lengthy reign. But you read in verse 29, In his time, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took a number of places, Ajon, Beth makkah Jenoach, Kadesh, Hatzor, he took Gilead, Galilee, including all the lands of Naphtali, and deported people to Assyria. Of course, that was in the aftermath of Ahaz's alliance with Tiglath-Pileser to get him to do that very thing. Well, capital D is Hoshea, who is the last king of the northern kingdom, and that's in Second Kings chapter 15, verse 30 to chapter 17, verse 6. Of course, that includes chapter 16, where it does talk about Ahaz. You find what's happening in the northern kingdom, though when Damascus fell to Assyria, after Ahaz had made his alliance with Assyria, Assyria attacked Damascus. Verse 34 we read, and Damascus fell to Assyria. It seems that about that time Hosea led a conspiracy against Pekah and seized the throne of the northern kingdom, probably with the assistance of the Assyrians. Now, that's not said explicitly in the biblical text. But in one of Tiglath-Pileser's annals, he claims that he placed Hoshea on the throne of the northern kingdom. That, too, is an ancient Near Eastern text relating to the Old Testament, page 284. You read in 2 Kings, chapter 15, verse 30, Then Hoshea son of Elah, conspired against Pekah, son of Remaliah. He attacked and assassinated him. Hosea probably represented a faction that favored cooperation with Assyria rather than resistance. As I mentioned, Tiglath-Pileser claims to have placed Hosea on the throne of the northern kingdom and to have taken tribute from him. Now, in 727 BC, Tiglath-Pileser died, and he succeeded by Shalmaneser V. It seems at that point Hoshea sent envoys to Egypt and refused to continue to pay his tribute to Assyria, even though initially he favored doing that, you read in Second Kings chapter 17, verse 4: The king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala, in Gozan on the Habor River, and in the towns of the Medes. And so Hoshea eventually refuses to continue paying tribute to the Assyrian, and Shalmaneser attacks Samaria. He took Hoshea prisoner, and after three years of siege, the city was taken. Although Sargon, the next king, is the one who claims to have made the final capture of the city, but probably not much more than a mopping-up operation after Shalmaneser had all but concluded the siege. And that brings us to 3, the exile of the northern kingdom, and that's Second Kings chapter 17, verses 17-23. to 23. Chapter 17 tells us why the northern kingdom went into exile. I think you find that stated very succinctly in verse 15 of Second Kings 17, and we read, They rejected his, that is the Lord's, decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do, and they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. So you see, the issue is they broke the covenant. It's a spiritual issue. Now, when we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and read the covenant curses, those covenant curses include many things. All kinds of disasters, from failure of crops, locust plagues, to drought. But as Israel continues to turn away, the ultimate climax of the covenant curses is being driven from the land into exile, and that's what happens here with the northern kingdom. They broke the covenant, and therefore, we read in verse 18, The Lord was angry with Israel and removed them from His presence. Only one tribe, Judah, was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. So they had turned away from the covenant, both in the north and in the southern kingdom. All right, number four on your sheet is the coming of the Samaritans. At the end of that chapter, you read that the king of Assyria not only deported many of the Israelites, but he also resettled many other peoples from other nations in the area of Samaria, Samaria being another term for the northern kingdom. And verse 29 says, Each national group made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. And then in verse 33 it says, They worshipped the Lord, but they had also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. So you have syncretism again arising in this settled area around Samaria, subsequent to the capture of Samaria by the Assyrians. Those people of mixed race came and resettled near Samaria. They came to be known in later times as Samaritans, so as we come to the New Testament times, you do read about the Samaritans. They are the descendants of the people that were settled around the area of Samaria, subsequent to the captivity of the northern kingdom. Well, that brings us to the last century of Judah, and that's Roman numeral 5, bottom of page 3. Capital A is the Assyrian Empire. Let me go back to this chart here and pick up where we left off. We went down through Sennacherib, but you see number 5, Sennacherib is succeeded by esarhaddon in that 681 to 699 Sennacherib is succeeded by Esarhaddon in that 681 to 669 BC 2nd kings chapter 19 verse 37 says of Sennacherib one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nishrach, his sons Andromelech and Sherazar cut him down with a sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat Esarhaddon his son succeeded him as king so in 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 37 you have a reference to the succession between Sennacherib and Esarhaddon. Then Esarhaddon is followed by Ashurbanipal in that 669 to 633 BC. Esarhaddon died on a campaign to Egypt and he was succeeded by Ashurbanipal who was his oldest son. There was another son by the name of Shamas Sa'ukin, but Ashurbanipal was the oldest. The younger son, Shamas Asaucan, took the rule over Babylon. Babylon was a city under Assyrian domination with control, and Shamas Asaucan became the ruler in Babylon. Eventually, in Babylon, a revolt broke out led by Shamas Saukan, in other words, the brother of Ashurbanipal, and that caused an internal conflict among the Assyrians. In 648, Babylon was taken after a long siege so there was a real struggle there, and Shamas Ukin committed suicide. That somewhat weakened, you see, Assyria with that internal struggle between Ashurbanipal and his brother, who was trying to get greater control. Ashurbanipal, apart from his military accomplishments, did something that was probably of more significance, and that was that he established a library in Nineveh, which was discovered in 1853 and which is a source of numerous ancient texts. In other words, Ashurbanipal's library collection has turned out to have preserved for us a lot of the texts that we have from Assyria. They are found in his library. Now, A.T. Clay in the ISBE, that is the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, in an article in Ashurbanipal in the first edition of ISBE, says Ashurbanipal is, and I quote him here, perhaps to be considered the greatest known patron of literature in pre-Christian centuries, end quote. The greatest known patron of literature in pre-Christian centuries. A lot of those texts that were found in his library included bilingual and trilingual word lists, which, of course, is important for deciphering and was important for deciphering Sumerian and Akkadian. You normally think of the Assyrians as warriors, ruthless warriors, But with Ashurbanipal, we had one who was interested in literature. This library has proven to have great significance to us all. But we'll get back to Ashurbanipal. Because of that struggle with his brother in Babylon, Assyria was weakened and they lost control of Egypt. When Ashurbanipal died in 633 BC, the end of the Assyrian Empire was near. Well, number three on your sheet is the fall of Nineveh and its aftermath. As I mentioned, the latter part of Ashurbanipal's reign was weak. After his death, Babylon almost immediately revolted again and eventually was able to establish its independence from Assyrian control. That was done under Nabopolassar. And, of course, Nabopolassar becomes the first in the line of a Babylonian dynasty. He was succeeded by a much better-known person named Nebuchadnezzar. But Babylon, you see, begins with Nabopolassar. Ashurbanipal died in 633. By 612, the Medes and the Babylonians together attacked Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they destroyed it. Now, as far as the biblical material is concerned, the book of Nahum, the minor prophet Nahum, predicted the destruction of Nineveh. And in three chapters, you have a description of the wickedness of the city and its coming destruction. And that was accomplished in 612 B.C. Now, even though Nineveh fell in 612, that was not the total end of the Assyrian Empire altogether. A new capital was established at Haran. Haran is to the west of Nineveh. And a new capital was established at Haran, and that lasted for about eight more years. And at that time, the leader of the Babylonian army was Nebuchadnezzar, and the Babylonians began to clash with the Assyrians and put pressure on them there at Haran. Pharaoh Necho of Egypt thought he would come north to assist the Assyrians against the Babylonians. You're familiar with that from your reading in the biblical text. As he went north, good King Josiah of Judah went out to Megiddo to attempt to block him from going farther north, and Josiah, unfortunately, was killed in that battle. The assistance to the Assyrians was ineffectual, and the Assyrians were defeated by the Babylonians so that in 605 you have a great battle that took place at Carchemish just to the west of Haran. That's where the final defeat of the Assyrians took place and the ascendancy of the Babylonians was secured with their victory in 605. That established, then Babylon as the major power in the ancient Near East. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 29 is the text that tells you of Josiah's involvement in that sort of international political struggle. It says, While Josiah was king, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah marched out to meet him in battle, but Necho faced him and killed him at Megiddo. Josiah's servants brought his body in a chariot from Megiddo to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Well, let's go on to Capital B, which is the beginning of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. The first ruler, you might say, of the Neo-Babylonian Empire was Nebuchadnezzar, not his father Nabopolassar, even though the latter established the dynasty. And Nebuchadnezzar ruled from 605 to 562 BC. You see, he took the throne upon the death of Nabopolassar, who had really founded the Neo-Babylonian Empire, you might say, as a force. But right at that same year, 605, the same year as the Battle of Carchemish, Nabopolassar died and Nebuchadnezzar succeeded him. The death of Nabopolassar probably delayed Babylonian advance farther to the south after Carchemish, going farther to Syria and Israel because Nebuchadnezzar went back to Babylon to assume the throne. That's in 605. But then, by 604 B.C., he's back the following year and the pressure begins to be put on Israel, particularly the southern kingdom. For the northern kingdom, you recall, was exiled in 722. All right, that brings us to capital C, the last kings of Judah. And number one is Manasseh, and that's Second Kings chapter 21, verses 1 to 18. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. You read in Second Kings chapter 20, verse 21, the end of the preceding chapter, Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and Manasseh his son succeeded him as king. Manasseh had a long reign, 55 years. His was the longest reign of any king in Judah. So Manasseh had a very long reign. He was also the most wicked king of Judah, very different from his father Hezekiah, who was a very good king. But you read of Manasseh in verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole and bowed down to all the starry hosts. In verse 6 we read, He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practice, sorcery, and divination. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Verse 11 says, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He has done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him, and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I'm going to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of anyone who hears of it will tingle. At the end of verse 13, he says, I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So he was a wicked king, and the Lord pronounced a judgment on Judah, because of the rule of Manasseh. What we find is that he was taken eventually by the Assyrians to Babylon. That's not recorded in Kings, but if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 33, you read in verse 10, The Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That was when Babylon was still under Assyrian control, of course. Now we read of Manasseh when he is there. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself, and when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom, and that was the end of his reign. That incident, by the way, is not mentioned in Second Kings but it is found in Chronicles. Well, Manasseh is succeeded by Ammon, in that second king, chapter 21, verse 19, where you read, Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father. Verse 23 says that his officials conspired against him, and assassinated him. So he only reigned for two years, and was assassinated by his own officials. He is succeeded by Josiah. Josiah is an important king. Second Kings chapter 22, verses 1 to 23 and 30, and that's paralleled in Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 to 35 and 27. During the reign of Josiah, I have two subpoints. During the reign of Josiah, the book of the law was found in the temple. Remember, Josiah instituted a reform. In the course of the repair of the temple, a copy of the book of the law was found, and Hilkiah, the high priest, brought it to Josiah and read it to him. Josiah, when he heard it, became very concerned. You read in verse 11, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Verse 13 says, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, this is King Josiah speaking, and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. It seems like whatever this book of the law was, there is some dispute about whether it was the whole Pentateuch or whether it was only the book of Deuteronomy, and I don't think we can settle that clearly, but certainly... It seems that Deuteronomy must have been a part of it, and what disturbed Josiah was these curses in Deuteronomy, if the people do not obey the Lord. If you turn away from the covenant, this is what's going to happen. So he is much disturbed, and he sends to Huldah, the prophetess, about this, and she says in verse 15, this is the message Huldah delivers to Josiah, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Does sound like the curses, doesn't it? Hulda goes on, Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all their idols. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. But because Josiah responded the way he did... The Lord says that all this is not going to happen in his life. So, judgment is postponed beyond the time of Josiah. So, in 2 Kings chapter 23, we find Josiah renewing the covenant. You find that in the entirety of chapter 23. Idolatry is wiped out, and they celebrated the Passover and had a real reformation in the time of Josiah. We can't look at that in detail right now. You might think that because of that, the judgment would be turned away. But you read at the end of chapter 23, verse 26, In spite of the reform, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence, as I removed Israel, And I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple, about which I said, there shall my name be. So the Reformation seems to have been a little too late, too little and too late. You find that immediately with the next king, they fall right back into idolatry anyway. Under Jehoahaz, they fall right back into it, and the judgment is then not averted, I won't say much about Jehoahaz. This is Second Kings chapter 23, verses 21 to 33. There are only three verses there about him, but you read in verse 32, though, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just as his fathers had done. So, you see, that reformation of Josiah did not continue. Jehoahaz was taken captive by Pharaoh Necho and taken to Egypt, and he died there. Then Necho put Jehoahaz's brother on the throne in Jerusalem. His brother's name was Eliakim, and you can read that in verse 34. Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim son of Josiah, king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoahaz and carried him off to Egypt, and there he died. So Necho placed the brother of Jehoahaz, Eliakim or Jehoiakim, on the throne. So that brings us to number 5, Jehoiakim, and that's Second Kings chapter 23, verses 24 to chapter 24, verse 5. Initially, Jehoiakim was a vassal of Egypt. After all, he had been put on the throne by the Egyptian pharaoh. But after the Battle of Carchemish in 605, he became subject to Babylon. There really was a shift in international power structure with the victory of Babylon over the Assyrians at Carchemish in 605, so that Jehoiakim then becomes subject to Babylon. You don't have a great deal said about Jehoiakim in either Kings or Chronicles. You will notice that there are only a few verses. But you have much more about him in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. The time of Jeremiah was the time of Jehoiakim. And this time, where Babylon is on the rise, Jeremiah is predicting Babylonian captivity and urging the people of Judah to submit to the Babylonians. Well, this sounded like treason to the people of Judah. In Jeremiah chapter 26, Jeremiah prophesied that the house of the Lord is going to be destroyed, the temple, the place where God caused his name to dwell. Jeremiah says, that's going to be destroyed. And the people say, that's blasphemy. And they called for Jeremiah's death. But the Lord protected Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah chapter 36, Jeremiah wrote a scroll that was read to King Jehoiakim. You read there what he did with that. Jeremiah 36, fourth year of Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, and this is verse 2, Take the scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the nations from the time I began speaking to you, in the reign of Josiah till now. So Jeremiah does that. He writes this on a scroll and takes it to Jehoiakim. And in verse 23 we read, Whenever Yehudi, who had taken the scroll from Jeremiah to Jehoiakim, whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Instead, the king commanded Yerachmiel, the son of the king, Seriah son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, and tell Jehoiakim this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, Why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem, and the people of Judah, every disaster I pronounce against them, because they have not listened. So you have that incident in the book of Jeremiah that fills in a lot more information about the time of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. In Second Kings, chapter 24, verse 1, you read, During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. So it seems that for a time Jehoiakim paid tribute to Babylon, but then he rebelled. By six o one b c, Nebuchadnezzar initiated raids on Judah by various peoples. Second Kings chapter twenty four verse two says, The Lord sent Babylonians, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him. They sent them to destroy Judah. But in that situation, Jehoiakim dies. But how he died, we are not told. If you look at Jeremiah, it implies that he had a violent death, but we don't know exactly how that came about. He was succeeded by Jehoiachin, in that's 2 Kings, chapter 24, verses 6 to 16. He was Jehoiakim's son. He reigned only three months. He's also called Jeconiah. In 597, the Babylonians came against Jerusalem. Jehoiachin surrenders to Nebuchadnezzar. You find that in Second Kings 24, verse 12, where it says Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's in the year 597. Nebuchadnezzar puts the new ruler on the throne, and that is Mataniah, or also called Zedekiah. He has two names. He goes by both of those names, Mataniah or Zedekiah. He was Jehoiachin's uncle. In other words, he was the brother of Jehoiachin's father, Jehoiakim. You read of Mataniah or Zedekiah that he reigned eleven years, but he too rebelled against Babylonian rule. In 586 BC, the Babylonians marched against Jerusalem and lay siege to it, finally taking it, destroying the city, including the temple. They take Zedekiah, or Mataniah, as a captive to Nebuchadnezzar, who was up in Riblah, that's right up there north of Damascus, where they killed Zedekiah's sons before him, and then blinded him. Then from Riblah, they took him to Babylon as a captive, and there Zedekiah died. In the meantime, Gedaliah was appointed governor of Judah. Now, he is normally not listed as the last king, because he's simply an appointee of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was soon murdered. So there's a lot of confusion about that time. Gedaliah was appointed governor after Zedekiah was taken captive to Babylon. Well, I see our time is almost up, so let me just say a few things to conclude all this discussion. Both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom went into exile, the northern kingdom to the Assyrians and the southern kingdom to the Babylonians. We can ask the question, when did the exile begin? It's difficult to specify a precise point as to when the exile began. Let me mention these five references that all relate to that question. First, is 2nd Kings chapter 15 verse 29. At about 730 BC, Tiglath-Pileser took people captive from Israel under the reign of Pekah. That's 730. And then second, we have in 2nd Kings chapter 18 verse 11 and this would be 722-721 B.C., Shalmaneser took a great many more from Israel in the time of Hosea, the last king of the northern kingdom. So you really have two deportations in the northern kingdom, one in 730 B.C., and the other one, the final one, 722-721 B.C. When it comes to the southern kingdom, in 2 Kings 24, verse 1, that's in 605 B.C., right after the Battle of Carchemish, you might say this is a small stage of the exile. If you look at Daniel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it seems that Daniel went captive at that time, in 605, to Babylon. That's the third year of Jehoiakim, and Nebuchadnezzar, at that time, took tribute along with some of the top young men from Judah. So, you have an initial stage, you might say, of the captivity of Judah beginning in 605 B.C., right after Carchemish. Then, 2 Kings, chapter 24, verses 14 to 16, that's 597 B.C., the great exile, where many are taken to Babylon, including King Jehoiachin. Then, finally, 2 Kings, chapter 25, verse 11 and 12, this is 586 B.C., where you have the final destruction of Jerusalem in the time of Zedekiah, when Zedekiah was blinded and taken to Babylon, where he died. So you see, exile was sort of a process in both the north and the south, with stages of people being taken captive from Samaria and from Jerusalem, and depending on how you ask that question or how you define it, you can say the exile began in 605 or it began in 586, depending on what you mean by it. That sometimes can be confusing, but it occurs within stages. You normally think of 586 as the beginning of the exile, but you can see from what we've said that actually there were captives taken prior to 586. Okay, I kind of rushed to the end here, and I apologize for that, but I guess we'll conclude this lecture and this course with that material. And I thank you for your attention. That is the end of lecture number 16, And the end of this whole sequence of lectures on Kings by Dr. Robert Bunoy, Professor, Biblical Theological Seminary.